Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and we're thrilled to have you join us today because we have a treat for you. Our guest, Dr. Moises Baron, is a seasoned psychologist with over 26 years of clinical and administrative experience. And in 2014, he took on the role of president and CEO of the San Diego Center for Children, where he's been a driving force of making an amazing impact in the lives of many, many people in the community of San Diego, Southern California. So this is a wide ranging conversation. We talk a lot about his journey and all the, the tools, talents and techniques that he uses in his life to find success. Some of the serendipity that's come along his way and just more about the, the, the pediatric mental health crisis and the importance on how we as individuals and how organizations need to look at this to provide a continuum of care for, for the children and the youth involved. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and, and that um, you're as impressed with Dr. Baron as I am, um, as getting to know him over the past couple of years, just a, a remarkable individual. Um, also, there's a bit of an editing snafu or a little hiccup in the middle. Uh, hopefully I, I get that out in editing, but if you hear something, yeah, that's my bad. Don't, don't put that on him. <laughs> so here he is, without any further ado, Dr. Moises Baron. Dr. Moises Baron, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be here. We're going to dive into a lot of specifics about the San Diego Center for Children and even further into the pediatric mental health crisis. I know it's a big topic and we're going to, there's a lot to cover there. But before we dive into all that, can you just introduce yourself and tell a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, I'll be delighted to do so. So my name is Moises Baron. I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, for the last nine years, I have had the privilege to, to be the president and CEO of the San Diego Center for Children. I've been, I've been in the field of mental health for over 30 years. And uh, this last uh, period of my professional life has been definitely by far my most award rewarding working at the center. So let's talk about your origin story. Like where, where, where did this all start? Like where, where did you grow up and what was your, I would say, here's a, here's a question that I want to put out there in your childhood. What did you think that you were going to do when you grew up? What was your dreams? Okay. So, well, I was born and raised in Mexico city. And I was the first member of my immediate family to go to college and to have the opportunity to do so. And I'm also an immigrant to this country. Um, I came here to do my graduate work and I ended up having an opportunity to stay um, and, and experience the, the privilege of being a citizen of, of, of this country, having dual citizenship because I still maintain my connection to, to Mexico. Um, uh, growing up, I, I think that from an early age, um, I knew that um, I was going to be either in, in the helping professions. I, I wasn't sure if it's going to be it was going to be medicine or mental health, uh, but I always felt like I was able to to listen well, and that people would tell me things that they wouldn't tell other people, and uh, that I could really be responsive to that and, and really have the ability to do so. Uh, an interesting story is uh, which I'm reminded as as you asked the question is when I was in uh, probably junior 
my junior year uh, in high school in Mexico, we all went through some kind of a vocational interview and uh, you had to fill out some aptitude tests and some other things. And I remember that the person that did this uh, when it was my turn to go to get the results, they told me, you know, you have the ability to do pretty much you want, but I don't recommend that you go into psychology. And it's interesting because the moment that she said that, I say, maybe that's exactly what I'm going to do because it just didn't make any sense to me. So that planted a seed and I just continued to pursue that. I I completed my BA degree in Mexico and then I came here to do my graduate work and to be, and and to just complete my postdoc to become licensed psychologist. So when you were making that decision and you started to, you know, look into it, was there anything that specifically that you gravitated towards that, that you can recall that you were like, Oh yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, uh, I, I think it, it, it always felt comfortable for me because um, from an early age, I was pretty observant and I, and I, I it became clear to me that I, I, I was comfortable just being present, observing, listening, not having to really be the one that is talking or be the one that has to uh, tell a story or be the center of attention. I always preferred to be more in the background and, and be able to, to listen and, and to be able to understand and perceive what was going on. I always also was very interested in the connections that um, you could make in terms of data or information or stories that people are telling you to try to understand them. And I, I discovered that, like like I mentioned before, from an early age, people started to confide in me uh, and telling me things that they wouldn't be telling other people. So it just evolved naturally based on what my interests were, based on, I think, my personality. And I also, I think that the, the sense of comfort that people experience. So I, I knew that I wanted to be a clinician, and that's why I did during the first probably one-third of my career, just providing clinical services then moving into administration um, and working also in higher ed later in life. When you were taking classes and, and the course the coursework leading to your professional career, do you feel like it uh, it set it, it tracked well with what with what your aspirations were? Do you feel like the coursework um, was sufficient in preparing you for going out into the real world and doing the work? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because uh, the educational system in Mexico is different from here. Uh, when you go into college, you have to select exactly what your career is. So you don't have a couple of years to be able to have different classes and then elect a mayor and a, and a minor. That's not how it works. You have to make those decisions in high school because once you select to go to college, you're going to go straight into your field of study. So uh, I... When I decided I was going to go into psychology, um, I, I had four years of only psychology classes. So when I finished, I, I felt, and then I came here to do first my master's and my, my, my PhD, I felt like a lot of what I was learning in the master's was repetition of what I have seen already. So I felt very, uh, it, it was wonderful to have had that experience because I needed to deal with learning, not learning, but mastering a new language. So to do that while also being in a master's program, it's sometimes difficult. So I think that the fact that the subject matter was familiar because I had been exposed to it during my BA allowed it to allow me to dedicate more time to really focus on language and writing and all the things, the technical skills that you need to have to be able to, to succeed. 
That's very interesting. And especially because you're you're being able to reinforce the information, but you're learning the language too. Yeah, it's very interesting. When you when you did your masters and you jumped into your professional career, uh, expand on that. Like, what what was that transition like, and what what were the challenges that you faced? So you know, when I I made the decision back then, I, again, I felt very comfortable with what I was learning at the BA level, um, and 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 I felt like I had a very good education. But I also knew that to, for, for a graduate degree, the United States was the place to go. So I made the decision that I was going to apply and try to seek uh, that opportunity here. So I was fortunate to be admitted to a couple of programs, and I selected to come to San Diego. And it was uh, it was a master's PhD program. So it was a four-year intensive program where I was able to complete the doctorate in four years. Um, I, I recall that it was, um, on the one hand, interesting, exciting, because I started to do also clinical work uh, fairly early. But at the same time, it was challenging because we already mentioned the language. Uh, I mean, I I, I could speak English, but be able to learn in English and write in English and think in English, that was a different story. Uh, And also, I think that there was a process of acculturation that many immigrants go through, where the differences in culture and expectations, uh, the relationships you leave behind, all of that really um, had an impact. So I, the first couple of years were, were challenging, were difficult, and it started to get more and more comfortable as I, as I progressed. So talking about these challenges, and because the name of this is Tools, Talents, and Techniques, one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm really interested in how people approach challenges and how they find resources or find ways within themselves or outside to overcome those challenges. And if you can recall that difficulty was there anything that you really used mentally or or even through your practice or your education that helped you get through those challenging times yeah that's that that that's a great question um i think that on the, on the one hand um i was very motivated to be successful mm-hmm. and uh and i i really enjoy what i was learning and i felt like the more opportunities I had to have the experiences that would allow me to be a good clinician, that that would be uh, to my advantage. So um, I really dedicated a lot, a lot, a lot of time to, to my studies, and I dedicated a lot of my time to the clinical work that I was doing and to try to improve that in that area. I also tried to make an effort to be to, to connect and to better understand my peers uh, and to be able to really start to think about the similarities and the differences from an acculturation point of view. Something that was very helpful also was to connect with a couple of other students in the program who came from Central and South America because we had a lot of things in common. So that really gave it more of a sense of home, so to speak. And and to stay connected to home, which back back then was Mexico City, um, also was uh, very important. I think that those those things were were helpful, uh, were useful, and in, in due time, when I was struggling with something, to be able to reach out and and, and talk about it, to be able to ask for help, um, was also was also something that was useful. But I think that by being able to 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 create an opportunity to connect with what felt like home, while at the same time learning and getting used to this new culture that combination really helped because I think that it's, a, from my perspective, it was 
it was a mistake to think that I needed to give something up as a way to be able to succeed in a new culture. I wanted to maintain what I, well, my roots, what is my culture of origin, while at the same time learning and adapting to a new culture. And having that kind of bicultural perspective where you can go back and forth depending on your environment, who you're with, and the, and the context in which you're interacting. Okay. Yeah, that's great. And um, that tracks with, I mean, everything that you're saying and what I know, and we'll, we'll move forward to like what the San Diego Center for Children is doing um, or has done and continues to do, you know, having that perspective and going through those things is, uh, is, is extremely valuable, I think, um, in your, in your journey. So how, how long before you ended up getting to the center? I don't want to skip over parts, but I, I really want to talk about some of the things at the center. So okay. like, tell me, tell, fill in the, those gaps from coming here and getting your foothold into San Diego center for children. What, how long of a gap was that? Uh, actually I would divide my career in three thirds. Okay. Um, after I completed my PhD and uh, I went to Portland, Oregon to, to do a postdoc and then I became licensed, came back to California. So the first third of my career, I was doing a lot of clinical work, working in different settings. I had a couple of private practice offices uh, where I was seeing uh, a number of clients, individuals, couples, children um, every every week um, and enjoyed that tremendously. Um, I also was doing supervision and I started to do teaching as well. I had an opportunity to work in hospitals. I had an opportunity to work in community clinics. So I really had a, a very rich career in which I was able to work in a number of different settings. Um, and, and all of those experiences were, were great and invaluable. I also, there were a lot of also events that I think shaped also the direction of my career. Probably the best, the first big one was in 1985, uh, which was the Mexico City earthquake. Uh, where a, a lot of people, uh, there were like 10,000 people that died and a lot of downtown Mexico was impacted. So I felt a pull to go back home and to try to do something about it. Um, and, and that allowed me an opportunity to use some of the things that I have learned to really become involved in doing crisis work. Uh, just a few months before, I had also, as I was completing my first practicum uh, experience, uh, some people may remember the, the McDonald's massacre in San Isidro, which was one of the very first uh, shootings um, that really resulted in, in many casualties um, in the United States at the time. Um, and I had an opportunity to do work with the survivors and, and with some of the people that had been there. So that really moved me in the direction of really trying to better understand trauma and how to respond to it. And I started to do... Um, uh, a lot of the a, a lot of the work. Uh, after that one third of my career, I had an opportunity to um, to work at the University of San Diego as director of the Counseling Center and Disability Services. So I went into academia. I had already had some experience doing some teaching, but working as an administrator in academia, and in there, it allowed me an opportunity to learn more about administration, learn more about budgets, learn more about developing programs. And what was really helpful and wonderful is that I was um, promoted to be the first assistant vice president of student wellness. And I started to oversee all of the wellness services, including the health center. So started to think about how to create an integrated program for students. So we started to bring mental health services into the, into the health center. We started to integrate wellness prevention, 
uh, alcohol and drug services uh, and started to think about it in a more integrated way. And I had a great staff and we were able to do some very innovative things uh, that really uh, left a mark uh, in terms of my development and my my belief system about how we need to provide support and help. Working at the you, university was help. Really, really quickly on that point, yeah. you mentioned having to dive into that administrative role and seeing how that side of it worked. Were there any, uh, can you just expand on that experience? Was that, that like completely new for you and doing that type of load? You know, I had, I had had experience, uh, in some administrative roles, um, in hospital settings and community clinics, but primarily as a, as a clinical supervisor, not necessarily managing, uh, but I had some experience with leadership as well. But in terms of being in charge of a budget, being in charge of the services, being in charge of how we're going to devise the services, trying to identify what direction we needed to go, providing a vision, that was the first time that I had an opportunity to to actually do that and to have the resources to be able to implement. So uh, it was useful that the experiences that I had had, I had been in leadership positions from the time I was young, uh, even on a volunteer basis to start really bringing together all those elements and those pieces uh, to be able to uh, then provide uh, guidance and leadership and a vision for the wellness services at the university, uh, where I had an opportunity to work for about 15, 17 years um, and and evolving. And also what what that taught me is the importance of surrounding yourself with really good people. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I know as a manager, probably one of the most important uh, responsibilities that we have is hiring. And to really be thoughtful about finding the right people that will be the right fit for the positions. And I really had a wonderful team when I was at the university. We worked very well together. They were very different. And, and it was important to create an environment where people could talk and speak their mind and be able to say, I like, I don't, whatever may be the case. But I'm, I'm very uh, proud of the work that we did there because we created one of the very first integrated care services in, in the country. Uh, in, a, in a college campus, and actually we had an opportunity to show others um, how how to do it and how being done. And just to speak about the importance of it, uh, we tend to separate mental and physical health. I think hopefully we're doing less of that. But um, back then it was very clear that students were experiencing a lot of challenges and stressors and difficulties, which is, was probably the initial indicators of something that we're seeing today not only with children and youth, but also with young adults. And uh, what we decided to do is starting to do some screenings for mental health and alcohol and drug problems in the health center, because we were seeing significantly more students there. They will come there for anything from a flu or a cold or having pain or whatever may be the case. And what really comes to mind is like at the beginning when we started to do this work, we were identifying at least two, one to two, suicidal students every single week. And what was really concerning is that these were students that were not connected with mental health services. So that really uh, made it very clear to me about the importance of really um, creating opportunities to screen, to identify some of these challenges and give create different pathways for people to be able to access the services they need because when they do, it is possible to really bring about significant change. So what, that, around that around what, what what year is this? Like around what time are we talking now? Uh, we're talking probably mid mid to late nineties into the okay. early two thousands. Okay. 
And that's when you're you're really starting to track the the mental health crisis, and as it's becoming more and more apparent. Yes, I mean, I was keenly aware of of that because of all the clinical work that I was doing. But I was working more in my own offices or in a hospital in a clinic, so I was seeing really the need that was being experienced by people. But looking more at a population, hmm. being at the university allowed me an opportunity to start looking at a population as a whole. So we started to do some assessments to identify what was the experience of the students. Um, and we're able to discover that there was like one in five were reporting significant mental health challenges. And there was a significant number of them had suicidal ideation and had attempted to do harm to themselves. So part of the question was, how do we translate this information to be able to create systems that could be more effective at preventing at prevention and or at identifying early on some of these challenges so that we can be successful in being able to respond to that. So that's why we started to think about integrated care, which I still believe is really a very important uh, uh, tool that we need to to have. And it surprises me that after all these years, we don't have more of it in this country. I think that it's absolutely crucial to start integrating health, uh, primary care and mental health uh, in, in, the, in the same locations. And a few, there's a few uh, systems that do that and do that well. But it's not as well established as, as it could be. Why why is that, do you think? What, what is the major challenge or challenges that prevent that from taking place? Well, I, I think that there's a number of factors. Number one, you're talking about two very different systems of care. And the kind of culture and the ethos and, and the profession and the background um, is, is different. And for many, for many years, people were thinking, okay, my responsibility is primary care. My responsibility is mental health. I think that in, in the last... Uh, 10 years or so, and probably a little bit more than that, it has been a clear understanding by folks in primary care that a lot of what they're seeing is related to mental health challenges or behavioral health challenges or neurodevelopment or, or neurodevelopmental challenges or, or developmental problems or whatever may be the case. And that it's, it is not possible to ignore this. I mean, it got to the point that some pediatricians were talking that they were seeing more mental health challenges than children with broken arms. So that that really started to really create an understanding that something needed to change and that it couldn't be ignored. So as a result of that, there started to be more screenings and there was also a desire to be more effective in responding to the challenges that children, youth, families will experience. So I think that we're starting to see more of that movement and there's great examples throughout the whole country. I think here in San Diego, we can see it in in federally, federally, federally qualified health clinics, which serve segment of the population but in terms of private practices or pediatric groups is just starting and actually we are doing some of that work ourselves at the san diego center for children but 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 i think it's something that we need to be thinking about because bringing services and screenings to schools and to primary care i think is the way to identify early on some of these challenges so that we can provide care in a, in a timely manner when you're experiencing this and you're and you're seeing it, this so this is prior to you uh, joining San Diego Center for Children, what's going through your mind? Is this is this something that you're like I'm I'm heading towards this direction or I want to keep going that? Like what what in your mind and your experience um, was your role in 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 handling this or approaching this? So I have to tell you that 
probably the most significant decisions that I made in my life, professional life, which is applying to the University of San Diego and to the center, were decisions that happened very serendipitously and in a very mm. similar way. Uh, with the center, I remember that I was in my prior practice. Uh, with the university, I remember I was in my prior practice office and I was op- I, uh, and I opened a publication for the American um, Psychological Association that in the back had, you know, the good old-fashioned newspaper that had classifieds. Uh, and I noticed that there was an opening for director of the counseling center at the University of San Diego. I hadn't heard anything about it. And I was doing some teaching there. And I thought, oh, this, this sounds like a very interesting opportunity to start reading about it. And I realized that the deadline to apply was the next day. So I went home, wrote a letter, sent in my resume. And then I had some faculty that I knew that that were willing to write letters of, of reference. And before I knew it, I was invited for an interview. And there I was. But again, I didn't saw that opportunity. I was not prepared for that opportunity necessarily. It just came to me. The second one, uh, as I was already experienced, had like 14, 15 years at the, at the university, uh, I looked at my list of, of things that I wanted to accomplish and I realized that the last two things on my list were being done that year. So I thought to myself, I either have to develop a new list or maybe consider something different. And I remember telling my wife, you know, the only way I will leave the university is it will have to be a nonprofit that have to, that gives an opportunity to do significant work in the community in the mental health field. And before I know it, I learned that there is an opening for the CEO position at San Diego Center for Children. So I said, why not? So I applied and I was uh, lucky to be selected to, to, to lead the organization um, in 2014. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wait, before before we move on, you mentioned lists. Are you big on writing lists of, of task lists, goals, life goals, all those things? Uh, no. Um, I think that when it comes to... Um, I think that when you're in a position of leadership, it's important to have an idea about what you want to accomplish in, the, in a three to five year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I also had a sense uh, when I was working at the University of things that I, I wanted to, to, to see accomplished. Um, so, but, but it was a process that developed over time. And, and we started to add to it. Uh, as I was learning more things, there was more things to consider or, or to add. So having kind of a strategic goals for me is really important. You need to know where you're going. You need to go yeah. in what direction you're going, but to also be flexible to understand that those can change. And something similar has happened at the center that we we have developed. We always had three to five year old year goals that we're pursuing and that we're trying to really uh, that we're trying to really use as guideposts to be able to help move what what we're doing. So to go back to you, you you got the role at San Diego Center for Children. Congrats! Very thankful for that because I know all the great work that you've done. Um, when you started, tell me about that experience. Was it what you thought it was or like was, what were the challenges or the obstacles or the experience for you starting out? Um, you know, it, it's funny because I remember when I was telling people I know that I was leaving the university, they would ask me, oh, what are you doing? I say, oh, I'm going to be the next president and CEO of the San Diego Center for Children. And people look at me, I would say, well, congratulations. And where? So a lot of people didn't know about the center, despite the fact that it was still is the oldest nonprofit serving children in San Diego. There was not enough understanding about it. So that was quite telling that not a lot of people knew about it. 
I also felt like the center was experiencing some challenges, but also had a great deal of potential. Um, it had a collection of programs, and I was trying to make sense of them by looking at the website and looking at the programs, say how they connected. They have a, a common denominator that they were serving children, but I, I, I was having a hard time seeing how things were interconnected. So um, as I started to learn more and really getting a better understanding, we, we have a really wonderful staff and really talented clinicians and directors and, and senior staff. So as I started, and also there was a lot that I needed to learn because I, I had been in private practice, so I understood commercial insurance. I have been in a university setting, but I have never worked with, a, with child welfare. I had never worked with the county of San Diego. And that was a whole different environment. There were a lot of things that I needed to learn, but I took that as a challenge, which for me, that's always something exciting about, uh, about taking some of these positions is that there's a lot that needs to, that I need to learn. So I, I, I look at it from that perspective and I try to make sense of it. And I try to make sense of it in a way that it will be useful. So learning about the very complex system of care we have in California for mental health was a challenge, but it was also, it created a, a lot of interesting opportunities. So yeah, there were challenges, there were difficulties. Um, you become all of a sudden responsible for a budget. You become all of a sudden responsible for the lives of three, at the time it was 320 employees. Now it's 400. Uh, you become responsible for the many clients that are getting services and to make sure that they get the best possible care and to deal with all the problems that emerge when you have, you're working with so many people um, and, and they exist. So all of these elements uh, were, were familiar in some degree, but the scope of it and the, and, and the magnitude of it really got magnified because of the number of people who were serving, the role of the center, and uh, the number of people that I was responsible for. You alluded to a couple of things that you you had experience in the university setting. You understood insurance. That some, you, you have a lot of great experience going into this, but there are ga there were gaps. There was a couple of things that are missing. In your mindset, can you talk about how you approach things um, with, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying this, and I told you this a few weeks ago, you have a, a balance and confidence and humility that I think is is very special in in a leader. It's a it's a leadership quality that I find very admirable. And to be confident that oh I can take on this challenge and I can do it, although I know I can't do it all myself and I know there's gaps. Is that something that you consciously are aware of in, in your approach? You know, it, it, it's interesting because. Uh, when I think about it, um, I look at this as challenges um, that, that that motivate. Um, so if, if something feels complex or difficult, um, I find like I find that intellectually interesting. I, 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 that makes me think of okay, okay, how can I approach this? How can we approach it in a way that maybe has been approached by others or maybe differently? And how can I learn about it? And how can I potentially uh, come up with some ideas that may, be, may help identify the direction that we need to go. So I find it as a challenge. For me, the challenge that I, that I experienced is that I was going to understand the complex system of care, and I needed to try to depict it in one page. Um, that's what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to really help 
also identify the challenges, the barriers, but also the opportunities. So I find those things interesting, stimulating. Um, it just it just fosters a sense of challenge, uh, intellectual challenge that I want to pursue, and then work with others and and ask and, and inquire from people that know more than me and start trying to get their, their sense and, and sometimes finding information that can be useful and sometimes realizing that we need to develop the information to make it useful. When is there is there any specific lessons that you would say that you took from or, or that, that were bigger than others of all the prior experiences coming into the San Diego Center for Children that you were like, you know what was the most useful of these things or, you know, top one, two, whatever, going into this that you were able to approach this in the way you did? Um, you know, I I reflect on the fact that some of the things that have been the most useful in my career or, or the greatest opportunities um, came to me. Um, so I think that, that that, in my mind, speaks to the idea of being open to what's happening around you and being able to see that and be able to identify it and seize the opportunities when they develop. In, um, as I got, I got to the center in 2014 and I was starting to really making sense, trying to make sense of things, of things that are identifying the direction that we needed to go. In 2017, I had the opportunity to go to Harvard Business School for a week uh, for the strategic perspective in nonprofit management. So it's a one week program, very intensive program at Harvard Business School when you are there with CEOs and EDs from all over the world. And it's just intense. It's wonderful. It's one of the best experiences I've had because I learned a lot from the experience, the professors, but also from my peers. And I remember the last day, uh, one of the professors made a statement that stuck with me. And it was, again, one of those kind of things that challenge you. He said, a collection of programs is not a strategy. And I say, darn right. A collection of programs is not a strategy. So I realized that what we were missing was a strategy. What we were missing was a clear vision that brought things together. And we started to move and work in that direction. And actually, the work that we did over the next couple of years really provided the vision for the direction that we have pursued. And we went from having, we had eight programs when I started. We closed four because sometimes you need to retreat and identify the certain things don't work. And now we have 14 programs. And the other thing that became very important is the realization that we needed to diversify. And we needed to build, we wanted to build an integrated continuum of services so that we can provide the appropriate level of care to the families that come to us while at the same time looking at removing barriers to access to care. So it didn't matter if they have private insurance, if they have Medi-Cal, or if they're coming to us through public health. So, so that became the vision. We were able to articulate it, and we have been working at it and working at it in a very uh, consistent, purposeful, strategic manner ever since. And some of it has required doing some changes at the center, coming up with the right advocacy, working at the state level, working at the county level. But... It has been clear where we're going, what the direction that we want to go. And implementing that strategy, well, having that strategy, communicating that strategy, and executing on that strategy is that's the magic. You know, people talk about seeing the forest through the trees, right? And when you're so busy, and that's why I love what you said, like a collection of programs is not a strategy. Because you're when you're working on the programs and you're not seeing the big picture of how they all tie together and how they get to where this is going collectively, then that, you know, that's where 
That's where the magic is. And that's amazing yeah. that you were able to get to meet with those, uh, with the, the Harvard business school and, and have that experience to bring back. Oh, that, that was absolutely wonderful. I, 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 I got a lot of tools and it was extremely stimulating. And it also, I remember on my way back from Boston on the plane, I started to put together a draft of a operational mission statement that we needed to have theory of change and started to think about, about these elements. And then coming back to San Diego, talking with my colleagues, we were able to refine it and get the input from our managers and our directors. Uh, but something that you brought up, which, which I think is important, when I think about leadership, uh, I, I know that there's so many different courses and books and, and things people think about, but if I were to identify one factor that I think is important for, for a leader to have, in addition to self-awareness and credibility and building trust and, and knowing yourself and et cetera, et cetera, is the capacity for foreseeability. Um, because if you're a leader, especially if you're leading an organization or a, any kind of leadership capacity, you need to spend some time in the future. Um, and that means also trying to anticipate the potential or actual results of your actions and your decisions. So if we choose to do this or that, what are the potential outcomes associated with that? And be able to spend time there to be able to envision it and to be able to identify what could work. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you are surprised by certain things that happen. But I think it's important to spend time there. And I think that foreseeability is an important component that we don't talk enough about and we don't spend enough time thinking about. Hmm. Well, you talk about, and I would say strategic vision and being able to, to have that vision. But one of the things that I, I would love to get your opinion on is when you talk about balance, and maybe this is more on the psychology side of things from, from, my, from my knowledge, but it's like, and again, I'm not a professional of this in any regard, but when you talk about balance and where you spend your time, and it's great about being in the moment, it's good to reflect on the past, and it's good to you know, have a vision for the future. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that, about spending time in those places and, and where and where and how you can find that balance? Yeah, um, I, I think that w when you're leading an organization, there's always the management piece. You have to be dealing with things in the here and now and problems that evolve because there's always going to be issues and problems and opportunities. So, so that exists and you need to dedicate time to that. But I think that's something that is absolutely crucial to do is to carve some time to be able to really go into the future and spend some mm -hmm. time in the future and to think about possibilities and to think about what could be done. And when I hear about something changing at the county or the state level, what I try to do is try to understand the implications of that and try to understand what the potential opportunities it creates and the potential challenges it may create. So to start to think about it more into the future. I want to be very mindful of, of your time because I know we're, we're coming up on an hour here. I want you to have this take this opportunity to talk about how this, the mental health crisis, the pediatric mental health crisis, and just, I, I want you to give you open the floor to, to share your insights, your knowledge, and, and anything that you want to, want to add. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so, and we are definitely experiencing a pediatric mental health crisis. A lot of people believe that it started before the pandemic. 
uh, after the pandemic or as a result of the pandemic. But the truth is that we had this crisis prior to. Um, the, to give a couple of examples of the magnitude of it, in the eight years prior to the pandemic, from 2011 to 19, San Diego sent uh, the San Diego Center for Children working in collaboration with Radio Children's Hospital. Radio Children's Hospital reported a 1,746% increase in the number of uh, emergencies, psychiatric emergencies coming to the emergency department. That was unheard of, something that had never been experienced uh, before. And that number continued to increase during the pandemic. And we started to see evidence of that, where we see more youth impacted, the pandemic made it worse for sure. And what we're also seeing is more severity in the conditions that we're encountering. Depression, anxiety, post-trauma conditions, significant challenges with behavior, learning, etc. Um, coupled to that, uh, also we started to have a workforce crisis as it relates to mental health. So when you bring this together, number of youth impacted increases dramatically, severity of conditions increases, and having a workforce challenge, that is not a good combination. I think that the other piece from my perspective is that we have had a problem, a serious problem that we haven't talked enough about, about access to care. Uh, because not having enough people uh, to be able to respond and treat these conditions, uh, we, a lot of folks have, were not getting care. Actually, there's some data that shows that about 68% of children needing help are not getting it. And then of course, populations that are more at risk, <coughs> excuse me, Populations that are more at risk uh, <clears throat> have even more significant barriers. For example, Medi-Cal is the Medicaid system in California. To qualify for it, you need to be below a certain uh, income level, be on child welfare, have a disability. So we see overrepresentation of families of color in that system. Um, and about today, about 50% of children are covered by that system. But data that should be very concerning to all of us is that only about 5% to 6% of these children are getting access to mental health services and only about 3% are getting continued care. So that's something that is just not okay. Um, so what we've been trying to do is understand that one solution doesn't fit all and that what we need to do in the same way that when you have a health problem, you sometimes need to talk to a primary care provider, sometimes you need to have specialty care, sometimes you need to go for specific diagnostics, sometimes you need to go, go for specialized treatment. Well, in mental health, we have something similar. We have prevention, we have screenings that we can do, we have outpatient care that a lot of people are familiar with, but we also need to have intensive clinical services, we need to have residential services, we need to have therapeutic schools, so we need to have a continuum of care. So what we have been able to build at the San Diego Center for Children is that continuum of care that is very unique in San Diego. And actually, there is no other organization that has it that really goes from prevention, integrated care, school-based services, outpatient, intensive clinical services, therapeutic school, all the way to residential. And what we've been trying to do also is advocate so that we can remove the barriers and have people that have medical or private insurance or referred to schools, whatever it may be, be able to access the services. So that has been the goal. That has been the drive. And we need to keep doing that. Uh, and we need to hopefully replicate some of this in other places in the community because I don't purport that the center is gonna be able to serve everybody, but we wanna be able to serve as many as we can. So we have had a very clear idea of what we wanna accomplish. And I think that today uh, this is moving in a good direction and we have been successful 
in implementing some of these programs, but also in removing barriers to care. And as a result of that, we're able to treat more youth, more, more kids, and we have been successful in being able to advocate to be able to have services being available to those youth, especially those with covered by medical, that is a population we're very concerned about. How do we, how do we, a couple things, just uh, two phases here. How, now that there's a map, there's a, and I'm not saying it's, you know, perfect map or a blueprint, but how does the center, how do we share this with other organizations, other um, municipalities, other cities, other states uh, to, to really build on this, to share it and, and, and grow it? Um. Actually, that's a great question. One of the things that we're trying to do is really communicate and share this this template uh, in terms of the services that we provide uh, to as many people in the community as we can. We've been talking with the county, we're talking with the insurance companies, we're talking with different providers of care, we're talking with pediatricians, we're talking with uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. So we're talking with a number of potential partners that are going to help us in the direction of, of, of continue to build this. Um, schools uh, as well. I think that the other thing that we're doing is that we belong as an organization to the California Alliance for Child and Family Services, which is a large advocacy organization uh, of today. I think we have like 160, 165 members. Uh, and this allows an opportunity to have a strong voice in Sacramento. Uh, so we're using that opportunity to be able to really bring attention to some of the things that need to be done um, and, and to really be able to show how it might be possible to come up with solutions that could help address the problem that we're having. Because there's, the state is, understands that there is need to be a significant investment in pediatric mental health, but part of the question is how to do it. So I'm happy to also share that because of the work that we've done, uh, we're going to have a visit from the legislative uh, analyst office, which is really the uh, an independent um, group within Sacramento that really evaluates the financial impact of new laws or new initiatives. Uh, and they're very interested in understanding more about mental health. And they selected our organization to come study what we're doing because they feel that we have done a good job leveraging some of the resources that the state has been making available. So they're coming in December. We're excited to talk to them because I think that that may be yet another opportunity to help share some of the work that we're doing. And last but not least, uh, we just want as many people to understand that if they have a need, they can reach out to us. They can look, at, look us up on the web, centerforchildren.org. They'll get all the information that we, we just put together a brand new website that I think provides clarity about the services that we provide and how to access care. They can, through the website, contact us. They can call us. And we are also doing some things to be able to help families understand what their needs are and connect them to the appropriate level of care. So um, we, we, we're trying to do it as family friendly as can be, trying to get as many people in the community to understand that there's resources available. And at the end of the day, if we are not the best resource to help families, we're going to try to connect them to the appropriate resource because we believe that at the end of the day, what they need is getting the help that will be most effective to, 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 to assist them and to be able to help their child reach their full, their full potential. I will include all of the information for the center on the show notes here. And I hope that in some small way that sharing your story and the story of the center can help with that outreach. I, I can tell you from me not knowing about the center a few years ago to finding out about it, 
and how impactful it is and how hardworking and genuine the people at the center at and around the center are, it, it just, it, it blows me away. And so everything that you've done with the center and continue to do and, and the whole team, uh, I want to thank you and for everything that you've done because it's a heavy lift and it's a holistic approach that you're taking and just, uh, it, it's remarkable. So thank you. Well, then thank you also for your willingness to contribute your your expertise and your time and your effort to um, us in our in our leadership capacity, also in our board of trustees. We're very thankful for that. Yeah. You, you know, it's like one of those things that it's like, how did I not know about this? And how do other people not know about this? And how do we shout this from the rooftops and in a way to, to make people understand the impact that that you can make if, if you if you know and, and you try? You're absolutely correct, and we just need to keep at it uh, and try to reach as many families as we can. But we right. appreciate—I appreciate very much the opportunity to have the conversation today. It was fun, but also I appreciate the opportunity to use this medium to help reach more families. There it is, Dr. Moises Boron. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.